Hello, everyone, and welcome to Life Hacks for Working Moms, the podcast that helps you overcome the overwhelm, embrace the chaos, and cultivate a life you love. My name is Megan Strand. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We've been talking about money recently, how you can do better with your personal spending plan and a few ways to save money. But what about teaching your kids to do the same? My guest today is Tim Ranzetta, founder of NextGen Personal Finance, a nonprofit organization that connects educators with free resources on the subject of personal finance and helps students live financially successful lives. Hey, Tim. Hey, Megan. Hey, thanks for being with me today. It's very, it's a, it's a very uh, anxiety-producing topic for some of us. So I'm sure you're gonna set us set us at ease. That's the goal. That's the goal. <laughs> so why did you start NextGen Personal Finance? Sure. So I kind of had been an entrepreneur um, and volunteered about five years ago to teach personal finance for uh, at a local high school in East Palo Alto, which is kind of a community serving low-income minority students. And uh, I raised my hand to volunteer, and then I realized I needed to find a curriculum. Um, so did a bit of searching on my own and then did a bunch of Google searches and kind of put a curriculum together. And in the process of doing that, spending dozens of hours, because there's no shortage of content, as any parent can probably tell you when they're looking for guidance on personal finance issue. The problem is, how do you find the good stuff? Mm-hmm. So I always thought in the back of my head as I was developing this curriculum that there's parents, there's teachers, there's thousands of people out there doing the same thing I'm doing. So why not at some point in the future curate what I've done and share it to a broader community? And so that was kind of the genesis of NextGen Personal Finance, which I really got serious about a year ago by hiring two uh, former educators, and uh, they took my wacky finance ideas and kind of made it more approachable for high school and college students. Um, and so that's kind of the, the genesis of it. I think kind of what inspired me was uh, my parents. You know, when I think, when I look at kind of the critical principles for personal finance success, uh, I learned those lessons very early. And my mom and dad were kind of great teachers, whether, whether it was learning how to make a $100 food budget go cover six children or, you know, setting up my first savings account when I was seven years old and my first CD when I was nine and kind of understanding the concepts like compound interest and uh, and paying for college. I think that was the other real gift they gave me was I was at a very early age because I grew up in a family of six kids. It was clear I would need to save in order to go to college. And that was not something that was sprung on me when I was 18, but I think I just kind of knew it through osmosis when I was seven or eight. And so that kind of also helped the uh, the saving culture How did- or saving habit that I developed. So I think kind of part of it is just realizing, I think we all believe that, you know, our childhood is not all that different from many others. And I think I realized that I got a real gift. And so this is really my opportunity, my labor of love to share um, some of the lessons I've learned with a broader audience. Yeah, fantastic. How did you, when you think back to your own childhood, how you said you kind of learned about that college savings that you were going to have to save for your own college by osmosis, what sorts of things do you do you remember from that time that make make you think that that was a yeah, subject so I of was, conversation? I had the good fortune of I was the fifth of six children, and oh. so and my oldest brother was ten years older than me, and so I heard them complaining about college bills at a very young age, <laughs> um, and was kind of fascinated by it. Also, in fact, I, I ended up I was going through my attic and found the financial plan I put together when I was sixteen about how I was going to pay for college. Wow. And, uh, it ended up showing up on the front page of the business section in the New York Times because uh, I sent it over to uh, Ron Lieber, who's a columnist there, and said, "Hey, no I just way. found this." What, and, was, uh, what did it say? It just it had a list of 
all, you know, at the time, you know, this was, I grew up in a middle-class household. So my dad earned too much to get financial aid, but right. not enough to, to support us. And so it was just a list of my accounts. I kind of totaled them, totaled them up. And then I factored in, cause I was 16. I factored in, okay, I'm going to have a summer job every year. I'm going to earn $2,500 a year. So add that to it. And then on top of that, I was interest rates at the time, which talk about a great motivation to save, you know, interest rates were 10%. And so oh I factored gosh. in, okay, all the money that I was saving, I'd get interest on that. So I just had a number in my head. Okay. So these are the schools I can afford this much. Um, and that was kind of, my father was also making, my parents were also making contributions, you know, but it was probably 75, 80% of uh, college was, you know, I, I was able to finance. So. Wow. Good for you. That's, that's uh, really impressive. I am fairly confident. I did not have a written college savings plan at 16. <laughs> so good for you. Apparently uh, you're, and that's you're, why I started a nonprofit. I was going to say your, your future was foretold. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So you really target high school and college age students. Why is that? Uh, well, part of it was the last company I uh, founded was called Student Lending Analytics, and I was working with college financial aid officers and mm. parents and families around this idea, this concept of how you're going to pay for college, and just came across too many students, too many parents who I realized there was a big piece missing here was education. I was getting too many calls from folks, and you know these are these are the oddball cases. I don't want to make it sound like everybody's going to college and has a hundred thousand dollars in debt. But when you get two or three of those calls, parents in tears or children realizing that they're going to need to borrow $150,000 when they're freshmen on campus, it's too late. Right. And I just kept scratching my head saying these conversations need to happen sooner. And you know, I need to get involved on the front end in terms of education at the high school level, because uh, by the time you're a freshman on campus, you know, and you suddenly realize you're going to need to borrow $35,000 a year. Um, and you love the college you're going to, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's too late. And so try and encourage people to do that planning up front. You, frankly, even before you go visit a college, there's great data out there now, or you tell me your family income and I can tell you what you're, you know, in a range, I can tell you pretty close to what your net cost or out of pocket cost for college is going to be. So I think, you know, you need to be looking at that before you step on a college campus to go visit well, and because I, that way you're not setting yourself up for, for disappointment. Right. So my kids are 11 and 13. So I feel like even before high school, it's important to, to teach them some of these personal finance strategies. Do you yes. have kids of your own, Tim? Yes, I do. I have a 12 year old daughter and a six year old son. So and I, you started... I couldn't agree. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And I think kind of, it starts with, I think many of your listeners may be familiar with the, you know, the allowance concept of three buckets you know, yep. saving, spending and giving. Um, so I do a little bit of a, there's a couple of things I modify. You know, one, I give allowance on a monthly basis because I think you know, let them learn to kind of uh, delay gratification over the course of a month. They run out of money early. Well, that's, that's mm. their choice. And the other thing I do is I'll match savings. So I'll match kind of one to one every dollar they save. Oh. And then we make it kind of a ritual on a monthly basis. We go to the bank and put the money in the bank because that was, that was ingrained in me. I didn't tell you, I was very lucky in that lucky. My neighbor was unlucky. I was lucky. She broke her hip. She needed someone to walk her dog. Oh. I, was, I was the seven-year-old kid next door <laughs> who, got, who the somehow pleasure. Got, ro- got roped into it. And I live in New Jersey. So there were some cold mornings and it was three times a day, every day. And she paid me. I don't remember whether it was five or $10 a week. And every week That's I'd go out bad. of the bank. And, and these were the days they'd stamp your passbook. And so 
you really felt like you were making, you were making progress. And like literally every, I think she paid me on Fridays. Every Friday I'd go down to the bank. I felt like an adult. Like I felt like I'd entered the adult <laughs> world because the, the tellers were bowled over that the seven-year-old kid was coming in every week and making deposits and to have, I don't know, I saved everything I got pretty much. Um, you know, so the, what is that? $250, $300 as a seven-year-old kid. Wow. That's amazing. Um, it felt <laughs> well. So let me it let me felt. ask you this because we I literally went to go check open a checking account for my daughter when she was I don't know probably eight eight ish and they were like uh yeah we don't do that and I was like what do you mean you don't do that like it was hard for me to open a checking account for this kid I, you know I had to be on it and they were like well I guess we could give her a student account it was just silly to me that it was such a big deal so with your own kids are you. Are you kind of keeping to that, like, go to the bank, fill out a deposit slip, uh, write a check, or are you saying, oh, here's your account and here's your debit card? Because it's that's yeah, very so actually, different. It's a great, that's a great point. So my daughter's 12 and this summer, I'm planning on taking her to the bank to set her up with a checking account. And she's going to, we're going to do a little bit of research at home before we go, because the killer question is, do you want overdraft protection? Oh yeah, that's a good and it's question. One of those things, and it's thirty. It's a thirty billion dollar a year business for banks. Really? Because because they just say, slap yes, you with a fee. Yep, I want overdraft protection, and regardless, like you can go get a coffee at Starbucks and go to a movie after, and then do something else. And if you have no money in your account, every one of those charges, oh, every one of those bucks. is thirty four dollars on wow. average a pop, and so. You know, I think well, the way I think about it is you, you don't have a money talk. You have a money conversation and you take these milestones in life. If you give your daughter a cell phone, well, she ought to look at the bill and understand kind of what are the drivers behind keeping the bill out of reason because she, she's probably my daughter's part of a family plan. And we just make it clear that, hey, the way that they make money is off data. And so if you can hook onto a Wi-Fi and get off the Verizon network, mm. you ought to do it. And mm-hmm. just instilling those. You know, and the other thing is she's 13 or she's 12 now is I'm going to encourage her to invest in the stock market. Um, Like for real, like not just doing a paper exercise. Yes. And so, and it'll, I'll probably buy her an index. I'll probably encourage her to buy an index fund. The reason being like, we don't have our, their generation is not going to have pensions. Their retirement is strictly going to be based on their ability to invest wisely. Right. And so we've got to instill these lessons early and, uh, so that's my plan will be to kind of explain to her and I do it in my class. I teach freshmen and every first day of class, I give them five stocks to choose from. It's not an academic exercise. I give them a stock certificate worth $5. Wow. And when class is over, they can either at the end of six weeks, they can either hand in that certificate or they can hold it. They're freshmen in high school. And I spend a lot of time at this high school. I say, you can hold it and hold it for the long term. You can cash it at any point, but you've got to do two things. You've got to do the math to tell me how much I owe you because you only own a partial share of any of the stocks that they choose. Cause it's, it's a $5, $5 in value. And they have to explain to me a little bit about why they think the stock went up or down. Uh. Um, Cause I just think people need to understand. They can't be intimidated by the market. And the earlier we can get them interested in it. I mean, I didn't start investing until I was like 22, but we used to talk about it at the dinner table And, you know, my dad was an investor. And so we would, so I had a sense of kind of how the market worked, but I still made dumb mistakes. You know, I bought a stock, a speculative high tech stock and lost half the value in about six months. And that was, uh, you know, that was a valuable lesson to learn. (laughs) Fortunately, there wasn't much money at stake, but I've gradually, as I've gotten older and a little bit wiser, realized the folly of trying to pick individual stocks. 
Um, so, I mean, it sounds like you clearly have, you are not the typical father in that, you know, you're exposing your kids to all sorts of things, but in your work with freshmen, let's say, what are the trickiest things for them to understand? Or like, what are the biggest aha moments they have in your class? Yeah. So there's a, there's a couple, um, you know, one is because I teach freshmen, this is a low income uh, minority community that I work with. You know, the last thing I want them to do is be dissuaded from attending college because they think it's so expensive. Right. And so one of the first lessons we do is we have them go out. There's there's a great website called, called College Navigator. Mm-hmm. And we'll go out and we, we distinguish between what's called the sticker price at a college and the net, sticker price being kind of the published 50, 60, 70, it's getting close to 70 at some schools, $70,000 a year versus the net price, which is after financial aid. Because what's different now than when I was going to school 25 years ago is most colleges discount. Right. And they discount based on merit and they discount based on income. And so we'll go through the exercise to say, okay, that's $60,000 college down the street. If you're, and we have a, there's a great table they show, it's called net price table. And based on your income level, here's what your out-of-pocket cost is. And so I think the aha moment is we're going through that exercise and some, one of the students was working ahead and she, you know, jumped on and looked at one of the Ivy League schools and she was like, oh my gosh, she said, this school is four or $5,000 a year. Wow. Based on income. Wow. And I think they just being able to see that table to realize, you know what, the hardest, and then I have to kind of tell them, well, the hardest part is getting into these schools because yeah. <laughs> they only accept five, six, seven percent of the students. So, right. But I don't want to dissuade that high-performing student or any student, frankly, because of the price from understanding tag. that financial aid is available based on family income levels. And so yeah. that's kind of one, one aha moment. Um, I, think, you know, I think another one is just with the stocks. When they own the stocks, students will come in and say, oh, my gosh, Facebook's up you know, 20% since I bought it. You know, just get them interested in understanding how the stock market the stock market works. Talk a little bit about how you teach debt, because, you know, to your point about overdraft protection, that's sort of the most basic, um, you know, you're essentially going into debt, you're going negative in your checking account and the bank's covering it for you. So how do you talk about debt? Yeah, there's two sources of debt I think that young people should be concerned about. One is credit card debt and the other is student loan debt. And so with credit card, and I think I, I teach them very differently. Um, in terms of you know, whether one is uh, appropriate or not. So with credit card debt, we have this great three-minute video, and it shows you what happens if you make the minimum payment on a credit card. And it's, it uses uh, a water pitcher analogy. And so it shows, okay, so you pay you know, your minimum payment of 2% of your balance, and then we, at the end of the month, the interest comes, and that's the water. You know, the water goes out to make the payment. The water goes back in when you've got to pay interest. And they just quickly see that it's a, it's a losing game, like a $10,000 debt becomes a $60,000, you know, becomes $60,000 you pay over a 30-year period. And just taking an extreme example to show that kind of this is interest. We talk about compound interest helping you on the savings front, and we show you how compound interest works on the other end in terms of credit cards. Now, the flip side, the, other, the thing with credit cards, though, I don't want to scare them away from credit cards because if you're responsible – like the credit card is the best way to build up a credit history, right? Which is going to help them. And so it's, we have it's targeted product. at kids at this point, basically. I mean, at least college kids, right? Like that's yeah. So one of the great one um, one great regulation that came into play six years ago was the Card Act, um, and what that does is it 
students cannot get credit cards until they're 21 unless they can get a parent to co-sign or they can prove that they can independently pay off the bill. Mm. And so what's happened is it's pushed. So it used to be students would show up on campus. There'd be tables set up, free pizza, free T-shirts, and kids before they know it would have four credit cards. It's and horrible. what was happening was they were graduating with five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000 in debt. And so that has really changed behavior because I think you're a different person at 21 than you are at 18. And so we're finding actually younger people are tending to use more, use, be more responsible and use debit cards. The problem is if they don't have that credit card and they haven't started to build that credit history, that can hurt them. Um, because they, when they graduate college, they need to find an apartment. The landlord wants to pull their credit history and doesn't see anything. Right, right. So, so re- responsible use of a credit card is something that you that you recommend. So I, I will probably, you know, allow. And the other thing parents should know is if they have a good credit history, this is kind of a credit card. Your, your site is about life hacking. This is kind of a good credit card hack. Ooh, let's hear it. Which is if parents have a good credit history, you know, if they've paid on a specific credit card, they have a long history, 15, 20, 25 years of on-time payments, they can bring their, their child on as an, they can be an authorized signer on that card. And the, the kids benefit from the parent's credit history. Really? So suddenly oh, they become really, you know, so their scores can accelerate because the problem with credit history, the problem with credit scores, part of it is based on length of history. Right. And so now all of a sudden, the child is getting the benefit of the parent's history. That's crazy. Um, obviously, obviously it works in reverse. <laughs> if you, ha- you don't want to just sign your child <laughs> If your parents up, are your- deadbeats, don't do this. Yeah. So I think that's, that's credit card debt, which is kind of avoided at all costs. And, but, you know, the hard part is in theory, everybody kind of nods their head and says, yes, yes, yes. And it's how do you control, how do you control the impulse? Because um, a lot of this is, is psychological. Um, and so we do delve into the psychology of it. Also, and the important part is just know thyself. Um, so if you are afraid of credit cards, well, you know, get a credit card with a really low credit limit. Um, but I, I'm going to, you know, my daughter is, I'm probably going to start her on a credit card pretty young. Because the other thing is I'd rather her make mistakes in the house when totally. she's living at home. Can she get a credit card really young? Like what's we the youngest, address, what's the youngest uh, age? I believe, well, I'm thinking about 16, but I have heard people have credit cards, you know, they would. Uh, I would just co-sign right. um, for it. I think, I believe you can get a credit card as young as 16. That scares um, me. That scares me, Tim. Why? <laughs> you don't know my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's because funny. Well, you know, the, it's, it's part of the part and parcel of that whole lesson about debt and paying off credit cards and all of that good stuff. I mean, it just, it seems to me, and to me, the overwhelming piece is that there are so many different things that you can do, you know, talking about savings, talking about college savings, talking about student loan, talking about debt and budgeting, talking about investing in the stock market. Like there's a lot to talk about. So what's your best tip for Getting started for somebody who's listening, who's done literally nothing outside of maybe giving their kid an allowance on occasion. Yeah. So I think let it like, let it roll with, with the, the milestone. So I, you, you talk about, there's a lot of stuff, but it's sequential, right? It's not all necessarily happening at the same time. Right. So saving, you know, create that saving habit when they're young, you know, when they get their first job, when they bring the paycheck home and they realize that even though they're, they were told they're making 10 bucks an hour, they're only clearing seven fifty or yeah. eight bucks. Yeah. Know, there's a good conversation about net pay. And then, Oh, can, will the company actually do direct deposit, the direct deposit? And then you can, I think one of the great 
lessons I learned early was, you know, take that paycheck and take whatever your percentage you're comfortable with saving and send it right to your savings account. Right. Like automate it as much as possible. Yeah. You got to automate these things because if you rely on, oh, the end of the month, I'll take whatever's left over and throw that in my savings account. It's probably not going to work. There's going to be nothing there. Yeah. Well, and uh, you know, to the point of the buckets exercise, like a third, a third, a third, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so the research shows that you got to do these things close to the, in order to make them relevant to kids, it's got to be really close to when they're making a decision. So I think it's kind of those, they call it just in time. But so I give me an example to, of that. Give me an example of a just-in-time decision. Like what? Speak to that um, a little bit more. So another thing that people don't often think about because they think they're when the kids are minors, you know, they're not going to have a credit credit history. Like there's a website called annualcreditreport.com. You can get credit reports from the three reporting agencies: Equifax, uh, TransUnion, and Experian. And most people think, oh, I'm not going to have my kid look at that till they're 18 because there won't be anything on there. But unfortunately, most identity theft, I think it's 10 times more prevalent with minors really? than it is with adults. And the reason being because no one checks. Yeah, duh. And so you can, you can perpetuate this for a period of time before anybody kind of catches on. Wow. And so credit report, like when do, you, when do you sit down with your child? I think kind of 15, 16, or 17, you can kind of start letting them know, hey, one of the reasons you have to be responsible is because there's this thing, it's like a permanent record, like they used yeah. to scare us in middle school. Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's going to go on your permanent record. Because it's going to be on your permanent Well, guess what? There is, there a, is permanent a permanent record, record. but it's, this is your finance, financial <laughs> personal record. So if, for no other reason, you got to be really careful because everyone can see that. I mean, anybody who's going to lend you money or get you, a, you know, the, the scary thing is credit reports are not just for borrowing money anymore. Like landlords will look at them. Insurance companies will adjust your auto premium based on your credit score. Um, employers, some employers will look at credit scores. Mm-hmm. And so being irresponsible has pretty wide ramifications beyond just the bank turning you down for a loan. Um, so that's, you know, that's one example of just in time. The other is, it's really the college decision because that's one of, that's the biggest one. And, you know, I've seen my brother do this with his kids, you know, they'll sit down and they develop a four year financial plan. Um, and so, but I think the college discussion better happen sooner than that. I think the sooner, sooner you can let your kids know, like, what is the expectation? Do I have to, how much do I have to, how much do I owe? How much am I going to have to pay for college? Is it just my spending money every semester? Is it, you can put in this amount, so I'm going to have to, because if you don't give that message soon enough, then it's a nasty surprise. And you suddenly, oh, I can't go to that school because I didn't know that I needed to have a summer job for four years and save up the money. I mean, I was really, I was, I was a frustrated teenager because I saw my friends in the community, you know, the community I lived in, oh, college is taken care of. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this isn't fair. But I knew, I knew what the deal was. It was never a surprise to me in terms of, like where, what schools I could apply to, what I could afford. And I think that's being straight with your kids as soon as, as soon as you can to say, okay, here's my expectations. You're going to have a summer job every year in high school or as soon as you're 14, whatever the, the working age is. Um, and my expectation is you're going to put five or $10,000 in every year for your, towards your, towards, towards your, your college education. tuition. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think so that's it's not. And then sitting down and saying, okay, what are the schools you're interested in? Let's go. You know, the, again, the data is out there. This, this College Navigator site is a site run by the uh, Department of Education. It, that has net price information. Every college actually also provides you net price information. So you can see, okay, what is the actual out-of-pocket 
out of pocket going to be? But I think it's developing. If there's one thing I would hope folks would do, it's develop that four-year plan for college and also making kids know that, you know, the expectation is they're going to get through in four years because too many students are, are hanging out or hanging around for five or six years. Some of it not their own fault. You know, some of the schools yeah. will make it really difficult to get into classes you need to graduate. But that's an extra cost. Of, that's actually 20%, 25%. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks. Uh, we are on the four year plan that we've already made that abundantly <laughs> clear to our children. But, um, so let me just ask you this question on the way out, Tim. So your site is designed for educators, for them teaching their students about personal finance. Are there, can anybody go on your site and get those resources as well? Yes. Yeah. So everything is, is free. You know, I was kind of inspired by, uh, South Khan, who, uh, I did some volunteer work with early on, just kind of to make all of these resources accessible for free. Cause I think it's, this information is, is way too important. So, you know, we have things we're, we're set up for educators, but I also know, um, cause I've gotten my nieces and nephews to use it. It's, uh, it's pretty, pretty easy in terms of do it yourself too. Like there'll be activities we set up. So students learn how to read the fine print. We often say, okay, you know, you really need to understand the fine print of credit cards. And then we kind of don't really teach them how to read the fine print. So we have a two-page credit card agreement, and we ask 10 questions, and we see if they really understand it. Or we have a two-page checking agreement, and you know, real agreements, not kind of make-believe, so they understand. Oh, and you students, I think that's the other aha moment many of them have. They look at a credit card agreement, and they're like, wow, <laughs> there's a lot of fees here. And, you know, they're surprised when you make a late payment of one day and your interest rate can shoot up 10 percentage points and it could stay there forever. Um, you know, those sorts of you, you got to know what's in the agreement. I, I try and teach students to become self-reliant and understand what you're signing up for. And I think unless you teach them how to you know, some people say, oh, that's boring. They'll never do it. Well, guess what? You're not going to get a credit card until you read this. Like you have a bit of, of power as a parent if you're going to have to co-sign on a credit card to be able to say, Hey, I want you to, I want you to understand the product that you're getting. Here's a highlighter, highlight all the fees that you, <laughs> you yeah, may be charged no, with. Yep. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great lesson. Well, Tim, this has been so fantastic. You've given us tons of great resources. I will put those links in the show notes, but where can people find next gen personal finance online if they'd like to do that? Yeah. So the best place, just go to our website, uh, www.nextgen personalfinance.org. It's a bit of a mouthful, but once you're there, you'll see um, our curriculum laid out and we have both lessons and activities and activities are probably ones that I think parents would find most useful. And again, try and do use those activities around the points where your children are going to be start are going to start using various uh, financial products because I think that's where it becomes it becomes a lot more meaningful to them when they can look at that information and then walk into a bank and have a conversation because I too often I hear students in my class will say I'll say when did you sign up for a savings account and they'll say oh yeah my parents did all the talking and I, I think that's what I want I want students to I want kids to feel like they have ownership you know one last story I'll, I'll tell you sure. kind of on this issue. Uh, it really, I've discovered it really cuts across socioeconomic class in terms of level of financial literacy. And so, and I saw that within a month, I was doing a workshop at Harvard University where, you know, these were juniors and seniors at Harvard saying, my parents have been managing everything for me and I'm really worried because I'm about to enter the real world and really don't understand how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other end, I'm teaching freshmen in a low income community where, you know, their parents 
really haven't, may not have been brought up in the system and don't necessarily understand how the financial world works. And so it's, you know, one of the things that gets me out of bed every morning is understanding that there's uh, just the extreme need, extreme, extreme, extreme need for education in this area. So excellent. Well, we are happy you are out there doing this, Tim. And again, we'll put, uh, I will put all of the links that Tim mentioned in the show notes, including the next gen personal finance site. And you can find those show notes on my website, LH, the number four WM.com. I'm at Megan Strand on Twitter. If you like this episode, give me a shout out and be sure to sign, excuse me, subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. Just Google life hacks for working moms, all one word and subscribe to the podcast. So you don't miss an episode. If you like today's episode, please leave a review and let me know. And on behalf of Tim and myself, we'd like to thank you for joining us for this episode of Life Hacks for Working Moms. And I'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.